0: Welcome to the Value Investor TV podcast. This is the podcast that help you that helps you grow your wealth, that help you grow your wealth and become financially independent. My name is Beko and my dear Dr. Radhakrishna, my Hello. dear partner. Awesome. Uh, this is a continuation of our discussion on Southwest Airlines, Southwest Airlines part two. Yeah. Uh, we'll be talking about in this episode, financials, the management, and the valuation. Uh, in the prior episode, we talked about the business, their moat, their relationships with, uh, employees, their culture. We talked about all that stuff. So if you haven't checked that out, please check that out before you come to this one.
1: Yeah. And, uh, as with every episode, we go down a checklist, um, that, um, we are, you know, halfway through now. Um, and if you want to follow along with that checklist, um, you can email us at info at value org. You can also, uh, send us a tweet at value investor TV. Um, and you know, this, uh, the idea for Southwest Airlines came from a, um, you know, a, a friend of ours uh, uh, who found the podcast Carlton, and we're happy to, uh, uh, and and he suggested uh, talking about Southwest. If you would like us to talk about any other uh, company, uh, send us a tweet or uh, email us. We're happy to to review and and discuss. So, excellent. Um, why don't you give us uh, a. Uh, or I can give us a quick disclaimer. Yeah,
0: yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh,
1: the uh, you know what we discuss here on the podcast is how uh, we're trying to educate you on how to evaluate businesses the way a, a in uh, value investor would do. Um, you know, this podcast is really for educational purposes only. We're not giving you buying or selling advice. You should really consult with your own financial advisor. Um, you know, before making any, you know, financial decisions. Uh, And with that, Becco, why don't we talk a little bit more about Southwest Airlines? So, you know, uh, we talked about the moat and how we feel that they have a very strong moat with their brand um, and their culture and their low cost, you know, provider. But, you know, does that translate into high return on capital?
0: Yeah. So that's, as value investors, we always strive to, Find companies with high returns on capital, right? Yeah. Uh, so when we look at their return on equity and return on cap, uh, capital employed, um, let's see the, the the most recent filings. So in 2018, their return on equity from our um, from our calculations about 25, percent and that yep. number has been around 25, 26 for about three to four years now. Okay. Uh, before that, it was in the teens, and then it was in the single digit. In 2011 so that really ramped up their uh, their return on uh, return on equity a high return on capital as you mentioned uh, if you look at other measurements for example return on capital employed it's around it's around double digits uh, it's been around for double digits since 2015 and then before that uh, since uh, b- prior to 2015 so 2014 um, before it's been around single digit. Yeah. Um, so you can see that all in all, they're very focused on getting that number up. And if you look at actually, we'll talk about this later. But if you look at their management incentive structure, return on invested capital is one of their. Um, it, it's how their the the management is intensifies. So you know that's one of the criteria that the the management is is it's judged judged by. Right. So you can tell that they're really focused on that, and uh, it, it number number do do show that
1: yeah um, so I, I think uh, you know one thing that we will do as we go through this um, and we, we're gonna just do a high level look at their financials here uh, on the checklist you know do they have enough cash to maintain you know their business and you know are they re- maintaining their debt levels you know you know based on that
0: Yeah. So let's talk about their cash on hand. Um, So the cash on hand is about um, 1.8 billion, 1.8 billion in cash. So that's straight up cash, actual cash. But they also have short term investments of about 1.5 as well. Right. So all in all, they have, you know, 1.6 or uh, 3.6, 3.8, you know, around there. Um, Just just so everyone
1: understands, because I think this may be confusing to some people, what what is a short-term investment? Remember, so current assets are things that will be converted into cash within a year. A lot of companies, what they do is they will take cash on hand and buy like a treasury bill, like a three-month treasury bill. So balance sheet is a snapshot in time. So that means that at that moment when this is done, for that date, this was in, you know, this cash was in a in a short-term and you know vehicle like a, a treasury bill and you know it'll get converted back into cash within a short period of time so you can consider anything that's in a short-term investment as basically cash exactly right? and some people will report cash and short-term investments mm-hmm. altogether so yeah
0: great point there great clarification and if you find this uh, kind of confusing check us uh, check us out on, on the po- podcast we actually recorded a, a podcast on on um, financial statements way back so check check those out um, so in, in terms of your question so they have you know about three point six three point seven billion dollars in cash or cash equivalent uh, in terms of debt they have about three point four billion dollars in debt and our you know in our value investor kind of uh, kind of uh, thesis and, and, and analysis we want to make sure that the debt level is manageable and yeah, it's me let's say yeah so when we say manageable
1: there's kind of two metrics you want to look at sure right? one is the debt to equity ratio yeah um, which you know in their case um, you want that number to be below one yeah and so that number uh, for
0: them is uh, let's just see here we're looking at our um, our graphs here so yeah equity of nine point eight billion and then their debt is three point three point four Yeah. So So, it's less
1: than 0.5. Yeah. Right. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, And then the other one that you want to see is that roughly their free cash flow can pay off that debt in three to four years. Yeah. Right. Um, And so, you know, what is that free cash flow, which is their net cash flow from operations minus their capital expenditures? What does that look
0: like? Um, Yeah. Let's check it out here. Yeah. It's about, it's about three. Yeah, so, it's, about, it's about three. So
1: yeah. they'd be able to pay it off in less than two years, yeah. right? Probably like a year and yeah. change. And
0: They're on top of that, they have, you know, 3.6 in cash reserve. Right. So I don't see a problem with them paying off the debt. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. So that there's no immediate risk for them to go under, right? Yeah. Which is always a good thing. Right. Right. So then the real question is not just about risk to go under. It's about, um, you know, they have enough current assets, you know, current um, uh, things. So there's... Uh, That and it looks like they have plenty of cash available. Exactly. So if they need to uh, sustain a downturn, you know, we talked about the seven three seven max line that was causing problems for them. Will that be a problem going forward? Uh, Doesn't sound like it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. So you know, talking through that, you know, we've kind of looked at the financials and gave us just a brief overview. Mm -hmm. Um, Let's move on uh, to management here. Sure. You know, I I think it's worth noting here that. They've had two CEOs, um, you know, uh, Herb Kelleher, who's the founder of the company Mm -hmm. and was on the, was the chairman for a very long time. And he recently died, I think last year.
0: This, yeah, January 3rd. Uh,
1: Oh, so it was 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, Was, you know, is considered, you know, is one of those CEOs that you should learn as much about as you can, Mm -hmm. right? Fantastic CEO, kind of had to fight. A very tough battle, uphill battle from going from those three planes to, you know, yeah. that, right? And so, one of the things I would say is, whenever you look at businesses where you just say, this is, company's crushing it, mm-hmm. there's always a kind of a similar story, right? The founder's still running it or the founder's culture and values are still there. Um, I mean, you look at Disney, right? Disney was founded in the 20s and 30s, but they have the same culture around their CEO and that kind of stuff, and they even... You know, you see Walt Disney pictures everywhere and that kind of stuff. Herb Kelleher is the same thing. You, I, I was getting off a plane last uh, week or two weeks ago
0: from Chicago. Uh,
1: yeah. From Chicago coming through Hobby Airport, and they had a, a memorial to Herb Kelleher that the employees had just made. Oh, you know, wow. not, not like a formal thing, but like, you know, so, uh, in memory of, of that. So I just, just to, to kind of tell you how important that culture is and how that, you know, so this management structure that they had, the, the you know, the, it's rare that you find great management. Most of the time, they are hired guns. This guy had a personal interest, and then the the new CEO that took over, uh, Gary uh, Kelly, is also fantastic. So, you know, it's rare that you see that. Um, so, if you guys are just trying to learn about good management, I would look at these guys. So, mm-hmm. with that being said, you know, does management? have the proper incentives to protect shareholders.
0: Yeah. I thought their incentive structure was really interesting because it's really, it's a bit more complicated than the other companies that I've analyzed. Other companies, is usually sales target or EBIT target or right. or some combination of that and total shareholder um, you know, return, things like that. What they did here is this. So I mentioned return on invested capital early on. So they have target goals for those, but they also have, um, uh, other strategic and business objectives, such as, you know, technology initiatives. So were they able to bring in new technology initiatives into companies or fleet modernization? We talked about max eight as, as being kind of a key driver of their modernization effort, but they also have, um, you know, what's called a net promoter score, which is something that was championed by was uh, Bain, Bain Capital and it's widely used in corporate America and corporate world. Uh, it's a, it's a measurement to find out how, how companies are liked or loved or hated by their customers. Yep. Uh, so they, they definitely have that in there. Um, so I thought I thought it was interesting that they've uh, kind of have, have all of this as their their objective. So in terms of going back to your question about in terms of shareholder um, shareholder you know, incentive alignment with shareholders, I think it, it is certainly the case that ROIC if ROIC is one of their big focus, that's you know that's directly aligned with shareholder uh, shareholder. Um, interest, as well as you know making sure that the business culture stays intact with these metrics like net promoter scores, as well as staying on top of uh, technology shifts and modernization efforts with, uh, with, these, uh, with these scoreboards.
1: Yeah, and I, <clears throat> excuse me. I think it's important to remember that management incentives don't have to be EBIT targets for companies that are mature, right? Southwest is not going to hit 25% growth anymore right Mm -hmm. that's just not going to happen on a top-line basis so they're not going to be focusing that on that and I would want to see like when we ask this question we're really asking do they have the incentive that aligns shareholder interest which is you know maximizing my return and you know my you know and and the company management interest Mm -hmm. right so are they going to do different things and so return on invested capital is a fantastic metric Mm -hmm. to measure right because it's it's making sure that you're not blowing my money on useless incentives right or useless uh uh you know business lines okay uh so how how let's talk about the management's use of excess capital yeah um so i think this is an important discussion because um you know do companies have good use of that capital that they're generating. Southwest is now a mature business. Mm-hmm. So what are they doing with that excess cash?
0: Yeah, so they're buying back a ton of their shares and also they're doing the big dividends. So last year they uh, they gave out $300 million in dividend and then 2 billion in share repurchase program last year.
1: Yeah, and and for an I uh, you know to kind of give you, give us a scope of how much that is. Yeah. Um how many shares you know, does that, did that translate into,
0: um let me see here. So from 2017 to 2018, 2017, you had 600 million shares in 2018, it went down to 573. And if you look at number of share counts, it's been going down steadily because of the share buyback program. So if you take a look at starting from, let's say 2011, at the height of the at the height of the stock, number of shares outstanding for Southwest it was at seven hundred and seventy eight million shares from that point on it has been steadily declining to about five hundred and seventy three million so they've they've reduced
1: they've retired about two hundred million shares exactly yeah and if you remember back to our NVR uh, podcast which was uh, we discussed you know nVR re- you know retired about seventy or eighty percent of their shares in twenty years yeah uh, which is a fantastic kind of you know, return. Right. You know, what what that translated into was, um, the uh the pod the their their return on the top line was only about eight mm-hmm. percent, but it translated into about a thirty percent growth in earnings per share. Yeah. Right. And so, you know, what we see with Southwest is kind of a similar thing that right. they can return a very high kind of uh, uh, amount to their shareholders yep. back by just doing this buyback right yep, exactly so go going and looking at that you know how how is that kind of translated into an earnings per share growth versus their you know revenue growth
0: yeah exactly so Earnings per share, like you spent, like you mentioned, earnings per share definitely um, is a right metric to look at because for share capitalization for a company like this, it's per share that really matters, right? right? And as shareholders, that's what matters for us too, right? Yeah. We're not buying, I mean, per share is what really counts. Yeah. And so let's take a look at that. So from 2000, let's say 2000, I said the height was, the height of number of shares outstanding was. Uh, 2011. So per share outstanding, it was at uh, 23 cents per share, and now it's at four, four dollars, four dollar per share. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then if you look at the top line growth in 2014, 2011, it was it was about 15 billion, and then it's now 21 billion.
1: Yeah. So their growth has only been 30
0: percent. Yeah. Top line over a seven-year period. Yeah. Let me let me give you a little bit more stats on that, actually. Yeah. So if you look at the top line three-year and five-year and 10-year growth rate, compounded annual growth rate, three years, let's talk about top line first. Top line three-year growth rate, about 3%. Five-year growth rate, 4%. 10-year growth rate, 7%. So that's historical growth rate going back five, three, five, and 10 years yep. for top line. And if you look at EPS... This is pretty stunning here. Past three years, the growth rate has been 9%.
1: And uh, the caveat, we'll finish, finish yeah. we'll, we'll talk about that.
0: So compound annual growth rate for, for the past three years has been, about, it's been around 9%. Pi, the past five years, 32%. And then the past 10 years, 33%. Yeah. So compare that to what I mentioned earlier about the top line revenue. The growth rate is pretty stunning if you look at EPS. Yeah. versus just top line. What were we going to say?
1: Yeah, so it, for for them the the last 3 years have also kind of been affected by the tax cut and jobs act. They had to take some tax liability hits like mm-hmm. every company did in 2018. Yep. So there there could have been higher than it was. So that 9% number may be artificially lower than it than it could be. Um but you know, I I think the the thing is is that this gets into a um you know, they're they're returning about 2 billion back and share buybacks mm-hmm. you know their stock price is around 50 50 Five, 50 bucks yeah so let's just call it for easy math 50 sure right so that there can return about 40 million shares you know back right which translates into about seven or eight percent reduction in, in their share e- in their share
0: account yeah. uh, that means if the if the earnings stayed the same it would be seven percent
1: yeah, oh. just a bump in seven yeah. percent every year, yeah. just by by buying back yeah. their shares, right? So you have a floor now, essentially, assuming that the price doesn't skyrocket, um, of six to seven percent a year that you're going to get. Now they're also going to see some growth on revenue and some growth in you know other areas, but I, I think what what you're going to get, you know, from a company like this is over time. Remember, it's compounding, mm-hmm. right? So at some point, it's going to be. Uh, you know the, that continued shrinkage of their share count is going to translate into a huge, you know, numbers, just like NVR was. Yeah, exactly. You know? That's so,
0: that's what you're looking for, really, at the at this stage of the company, right? right? You're looking for if you're looking at mature companies, that's what you're looking for.
1: Yeah, right. and and honestly, the the dividend to me is not even interesting, right? Like, who cares? I would rather them buy back these shares, and in <laughs> ten years, I'd have a huge, you know, exactly yeah. huge uh, growth in their share price purely because of the cannibalization yeah. of their shares, yeah. right? It, it's a twofold effect. Their EPS goes up, but then the number of shares outstanding decreases and that creates... Uh, okay, Yeah. so I, I think we've kind of already covered this with the management's honesty and openness. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think there's any question or red flags there.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree.
1: Um, so let's just, let's move on right now to what our valuation sure. is. Um, you know, Yeah. so, that's, that's so that's give us our, your assumptions on how you... You, you put this in
0: yeah let's take a look at that really quick. Um, so let me see yeah if you look at let's see if you look at this discount kind of cash flow so this kind of cash flow is something that we use to evaluate kind of project out the future future cash flow of the company and then we discount that back to present time and that's how we estimate the value of the company. If we do that we take the initial cap initial free cash flow up of for about you know four. And then we project out with growth rate of 10, 15%, 10%, and 7%. So 10, 15% for the, first, uh, for the first for the first three years, 10% for the next three, and then 7% um, until the, the year 10. And then discount rate, 10%. That's the standard that we use. You give it a little plug for why Basically we use Basically,
1: the S&P 500 plus dividends is about 10%. Yeah. Or it's about... I think 9% and we just add
0: in to make it 10 simple math. Yeah. Yeah. So that's uh that's what we use discount rate of 10 and then like I said earlier the growth rate 15 for the first 3, 10 for the the next and then 7 for the last.
1: And and let's let's make the caveat or so that you understand why we're picking those numbers, right? Yeah. We're using not the top line growth rate because that's not what we care about as investors. We care about the money that we get, right? Which is how is the cash flow per share going to change right Mm -hmm. so we know that they have an aggressive share buyback um, which is going to reduce share counts uh, significantly Mm -hmm. so that number is really the earnings per share you know which was actually much higher 30% you know over the last 10 years Mm -hmm. Um, so those numbers I think are fairly reasonable you know given uh, given the you know that it it won't continue to grow at at the same rate because it started from a small number
0: exactly yeah, so yeah, we're looking at per share again here. You know, yep. we're not looking at the top line, uh, just the purely top line or the bottom line. It's per share, per share bottom line, yep. per share free cash flow. So we do that, we project it out, and then we have obviously have the debt level and then the cash, um, assuming that we pay back all the debt and then get all the cash into our system, the intrinsic value turns out to be about eighty dollars. And right now, it's hitting a f- trading at 50-something. 50 54, yeah. 54, so, yeah. Which so, I f- yeah, go ahead. Well, you
1: know, so we ha- we talk about margin of safety first, right? Which is yeah. we want, you know, a 50% margin of safety would give us a price of around $40, mm-hmm. right? So they're a little bit above that. Uh, you know, some people use less margin of safety, 30%. Um, Some people use more. Uh, but wh- where where that really falls into is how comfortable are we at estimating their future right. growth, right? Right. Um, and 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 truly, that w- this is a business with a very very strong moat. So is it acceptable to take a l- smaller margin of safety because the moat is actually protecting is your margin of safety yeah. in this case?
0: Well, I think yeah. I think the answer is yes. Uh, you know, I think it's it's an astounding yes for that one because I mean, if we look at the, the best investor of all time, Charlie Monk, Charlie Munger and uh, Warren Buffett. Charlie Munger talks about this all the time, right? Yeah, it's better it's better to pay fair value for a great business than than you know uh, great price for a fair business, right? And this is this is the definitely a former case. Yeah, on, on that one.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's a great business, and you know we use these assumptions. You know, obviously, if you were to start a position in this, right? If the price were to go down because of a recession or what have you, that doesn't necessarily mean that the value of the business has changed. I would buy more, right, as if the price went down, obviously, because I don't think this is going to, this business is not going to go away. They're not going to get disrupted by the internet, right? That's not going to change anything, mm-hmm. right? It's people just need to get from point A to point B, and this is the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of preference for people to use Southwest Airlines. Absolutely.
0: So, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think one of the things that I want to talk about here is is the idea of airline industry being always undervalued. Right. Um, we talked about this earlier on um, outside the podcast, but can you maybe shine some light on some pe- some people that might say, okay, I'm no, I don't want to, I don't want to get into airlines because airlines are always undervalued. This is always going to be undervalued, no matter what. So it's never going to achieve that intrinsic value.
1: Yeah, and I, I, to them, I would say NVR was also. Undervalued, and they've had a compounded annual growth rate of 33%, which is taking every tech company and all these other places, you know, and taking them behind the woodshed and beating them in terms of returns. So, it, undervalued doesn't mean anything. If the company is a great business, don't worry about what the market is going to do or how they're going to price it or whatever. None of that matters. It never does. If you own a great business you will always be rewarded as long as you pay a fair price for it mm-hmm. right and that's that's the thing is time is always your friend when you ha- own a great business so if you buy a great business at $50 a share or $53 a share or $47 a share it doesn't really matter right if there's a significant margin of safety and they have a they're a well-run business like like Southwest is you know, you're going to see yeah. a, a return on your investment, and yeah. that return is going to be predicated on the bit the great business, right? Because yeah. they will generate cash, and they will give it to you in some way.
0: Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. The last point, I think, they will give it to you in some way, and this one is, you know, they'll give it to you in, in share buyback, and the value of the value of your ownership of of the company will grow, yeah, uh, because of that. Right. And uh, it, it and kind of to your point about market. Um, Kind of answering my own question, right? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't really matter what the market thinks. Market might give you, let's say, you know, for airline, airline industry, the P of I don't know, like five or six, whatever. It doesn't matter if the P is or five, P is P it never goes up to ten or eleven, as long as the per share price. Um, uh, per share earnings all uh, keeps growing like like it, like it has and it, it keeps uh you know, just buying its shares so yeah the, you know what what the Wall Street assesses is the right PE for that industry is irrelevant if the company is continuously buying back their shares because it right. is eventually going to have to go up. Well,
1: and you know we've talked about a another company that's in the transportation business as they would like to call themselves, which was Lyft, and. I mean, they're not generating two billion in free cash flow a year. They never will, right? I mean, maybe they will. I don't know. Yeah. You know, I, I don't have enough foresight to see you know how 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 that looks. But yeah. I can look at this business and say, you know, and and Lyft's PE is outrageous, and it's based on a growth it's pattern. Negative. That, yeah, it's it. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> infinite, right? <laughs> infinite, yeah. Because you you have no. Uh, there's no earnings. There's out. no earnings, right? Yeah. It's basically zero. Um, and, you know, dividing by that price yeah. or price divided by that, you know, that earnings is giving you an infinite value, yeah. right? I don't know how to take that into account when I have a business. Why would I even look at that company when I have a company that's... It, yes, yeah. who cares if it's chronically undervalued? They're going to return share cash to me. I would much rather buy an undervalued business than an overvalued one, right? For sure. And then if I have a great business, that... Solves a lot of my problems, right? I don't even have to worry about this. Like, if I forget to, you know, look at the conference call transcript or whatever, a quarter, who cares? I know Southwest is going to do be there. It's going to always do well. It's not going to change. I mean, unless somebody in, you know, invents an instant teleporter, right? You're going to need Southwest Airlines, and so I feel like this is a business that is very well run, Mm -hmm. and you're going to be well taken care of by that and the, the same thing with nvr right i i think the 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 higher you know the bigger point of all of this is value investors look in places where other people don't no one is talking about companies like southwest airlines or nvr or these others but yet they're giving you the best rate of return right you and i don't get any benefit I don't feel I don't get the warm fuzzies by owning Uber or Lyft or any of these other things, right? All I care about is making money, right? And at the end of the day, that's how you do that is buying these kind of companies.
0: Yeah. Exactly. What's crazy is uh just the last bit point before we close out, what's crazy is that the market cap of Southwest is 30 billion. Uber IPO is expecting to IPO at like 100 or something, 90 billion, so just to give you guys some perspective about that. Like this is you know Uber is 30 you know, three times as more Valuable in people's eyes than than Southwest at current valuation, which take it or leave it. But it's um, it's a uh, very very bullish, very yeah. very bullish. Uh, maybe uh, a little too bullish for from our perspective. But um,
1: well, one company actually makes money; the other one doesn't. So I'd it rather, makes a lot of money too. I'd rather not that uh, you know my equity just be set on fire. You know, I'd rather actually have a business that generates cash for me Mm -hmm.
0: you know so well awesome uh that was a good discussion about uh valuation and management and and uh, financials um i hope you guys enjoyed our podcast southwest airlines part two Uh, please do reach out to us like uh like carlton um if you have any suggestions on companies that we would that you would like us to cover please do send them over our way at info at valueinvestor.org Info at valueinvestor.org or reach out, reach out to us on Twitter. Value Investor. The handle is Value Investor TV at Value Investor TV. All right, guys. Thank you all for listening and we will see you on the next episode. Yeah. Thanks. Thank you.